Darkness Dwells is brought to you by Crystal Lake Publishing. Go to crystallakepub.com and go check out what they've got going. They've been publishing since 2012, and they are only getting bigger. They have published the likes of Ramsey Campbell, Mercedes Yardley, and Clive Barker, amongst many many more. We're also supported by audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com slash darkness dwells and pick out any book that you want when you sign up for a free trial membership. And that trial lasts for one month and you get any book you want for free. So go and check that out. On this episode of Darkness Dwells, Michael and I talk with Dong Jai Gam about her collection, Glass Slipper Dreams Shattered, along with writing with her boyfriend, Ed Kurtz, conferences and Nikon, and the amount of Nikon she's been to, letting stories percolate for long periods of time in your brain, and how to put emotions into shorter pieces of literature, among many, many other things. Michael and I then discussed the remake of Suspiria, and we compare it to the original Suspiria, so stay tuned. Darkness Dwells podcast episode 111. I am Jason White. I'm Michael Schutz. And uh, together we're Darkness Dwells. Yeah, we, we dwell in darkness over here. <laughs> this week we I have. I'm sure dwelling in darkness today. Oh, oh are you? It's Why? ugly and raining. Oh, it's ugly and raining, hey? Yes. Is it cold? Perfect day for horror movies and writing. Is it cold too? It is cold. It is cold. It's freezing it's here. Cold. We just had a, a really bad snowstorm, and uh, so that was fun. At least the power stayed on, so that's cool. That's nasty when it goes out. It is. Uh, speaking of that, you know what? I had a situation uh, last week. It was like the coldest night of the year. It was minus 22 Celsius, which is, uh, I don't know what that is. It's like minus 10, I think, Fahrenheit. And the power went out all night. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh my god! I hope yeah. you you have enough blankets. Oh. You're pretty man. We were cold. It it, it got cold real quick. <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> wow. All right. So the this week we we have a special guest with uh, Dung Jai Gam, and we're going to be discussing the latest the latest the uh, remake of the Suspiria film. Now before we get into that, how are you doing, Michael? How are you are you keeping? Uh, I- Keeping with the with the editing up, or are you writing something? Both, both. I am actually splitting my schedule right now, writing something original the first half of my day, and then really zooming through my like third from the last edit <laughs> of Plank Children. Cool. So I'm doing both, and it feels good. You've so. been you've been working on Plank Children for so long now; it, it's got to be like oh my part God, of your life. That's... 
like it a major is. part of your life. Well, that's awesome. Now, <laughs> before we get into any any of the show, there's a we we got a comment on uh, on Twitter that I wanted to bring up before uh, we continue. Uh, it was by uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I hope I pronounce it correctly. Uh, Mons Weislander, Weislander, I think. Uh, sorry if I butchered your name. <laughs> but uh, I asked him if I could uh, if I could quote his tweet on the show, and he said, "Yeah, sure, go ahead." So he he said, uh, "Don't miss out on the Darkness Dwells podcast. It's one of the best out there." Start with the Rasnik Tem interview. So thank you very much for the uh, for the shout out, Mons. And uh, we hope to uh, keep you entertained. Thank you for listening, and thank you for commenting. Yes, I, we we we've had comments here and there, but uh, they're mostly uh, from people we know. All right, so uh, yeah, thanks very much, man. And uh, so, if you guys want to uh, give us a shout out or just comment to us, you can send us an email. Uh, you can uh, give us a review, and uh, we will read it on on the show. And so, so there we go. Uh, do you think you're ready, Michael, to start this one? Let's let's get at it. Let's do it. Do it. Do it. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this week we have a really special, exciting guest. Uh, Dung Jai Gam. Her short fiction has appeared in Lamplight, Distant Dying Embers, Wicked Haunted, the Nikon Best of Flax Fiction Anthology Series, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, and uh, Lost Highways by Crystal Lake Publishing. Uh, the latter story she wrote with Ed Kurtz. Glass Slipper Dreams Shattered is her first collection. Born in Thailand, she currently resides in Connecticut. Welcome to the show, Dong Jai. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. We're glad to have you. So your collection, Glass Slipper Dreams Shattered, came out last year. I believe it was on August the 1st. Uh, is this is this indeed your first collection? It is, yeah. Um, and it took me forever to get it put together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next question might seem a little weird, but, uh, you know, having a release date, seems like it would be a really exciting event, but I've known myself and other writers to feel a weird sort of uh, emptiness. So I, I was wondering if, you know, it being your first release date, if you were really excited on that day or did you feel that strange sort of emptiness? Um, I was, I was pretty excited. Um, I, I, I felt weird afterwards um, in the, uh, in the following couple of months, um, because you know, uh, you know, people were writing reviews and um, and giving me praise and stuff, and it it felt weird, and I'm still not used to it, and it's, I I don't know, I just kind of feel like I I don't deserve this, <laughs> so it's it's just been I've been all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, I bet you it's a real emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, Apocrypha released the book. How did you come to uh, end up working with them? Um. So I had um, I had met Jacob Haddon, who uh, he runs Apocrypha. Um. I had met him at a little convention that 
sadly is no longer called Anthacond, which was uh, up in New Hampshire. And um, I had I had gone to a, um, a panel that he was on about you know what editors are looking for, and uh, and he runs Lamplight, and I had been wanting to you know submit to them, so I uh, you know went to the convention. And, and you know, saw him around here and there, and was too chicken shit to go up to him and introduce <laughs> myself. And um, and uh, and then I, I like friended him after the fact on Facebook, and I was just like, hey, I was at your panel and stuff. And uh, and I ended up subbing to him for a lamplight, and I got in, and that was my first sale. And um, at the Following Anthacon, which was a couple of years, about a year and a half later, um, we were we were chit chatting in the bar, and it happened to be my birthday, and he had uh, said, you know, I wanted to see if you were interested in, you know, maybe doing a collection with us, and I was just like, yeah, this is the best birthday gift ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what was your lamplight story? Uh, it, it's called What Remains. It's in the it's uh, it's in the collection. Okay. What's your experience been like working with Apocrypha? They've been they, they're really great to work with. Um, Jacob is awesome. I can't say enough good things about him, and uh, he's got the patience of a saint. Let me tell you, because um, between it, let me see here, it was June 2015 when he first approached me about this, and. The collection didn't come out till 2018, and there was just—I I just had a lot of personal shit going on in that that three-year span there. That just kind of we kept pushing the date back and pushing it back, and I was just like, "Dude, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And he's just like, <laughs> "It's okay. We just want to put the best collection out, so you know, don't worry about it." Well, uh, you know, I, I would say it was a success because uh, the stories in Glass Slipper Dream Shattered are. Each story has a you know a little gut punch of its own. <laughs> uh, all the all the stories tell a very real situations or uh, at least moments of clarity and terrible moments within life. Now I was wondering, um, do you do you write every day? Nope, not at all, and I probably should be, but I don't. And how do you keep up that level of emotion in your stories, um, you know, if it takes you a few days to, to get back into it? Um, gosh. Um, well, I mean, some of the ones, the um, some of the shorter ones, no, actually, even those, it's even the, the, the smaller, like, 100-piece ones still would take anywhere between a week or two. Um I mean, I kind of have to just spit out that rough draft and then just keep going back and revising and revising until I just get sick of it. Um, but it's not always easy to keep that emotion level, like, high. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Now, was this a, a, a lot of these stories were published previously, but did you write a lot of stories original to the collection? Yeah, it's probably um i think it was like a 40 60 split um with i think maybe about 60 percent of it being new and original stuff reading through the uh the stories uh most of them are are flash 
fiction sprinkled with uh, a lot of poetry throughout. And in fact, the I noticed that the flash fiction itself, uh, they also read like poetry. I was wondering, how is it you're able to uh, to fit in so much emotion with less words? Now, I ask this for a reason, because once I was talking with Mercedes Yardley on the show here, and I was telling her of my struggles, because I, I can't write flash fiction, and I don't know why. And I was telling her that, and she, she was like, oh, Jason, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it takes a lot of practice. Um the way that I had gotten my start with flash fiction was that um, when Nikon eBooks started up in 2010, they had this monthly flash fiction contest on on their website, and it, and you had to do 100 words or less. They usually gave you um, a subject to work with, and um, I had subbed a story in 2010, which uh, didn't get in. It's in the collection. Um, so it did get published after all. And it took me a few tries until uh, the first one that I won in 2011, which was uh, the uh, what was the opening story. Um, yes, the opening story in my collection. Um, uh, I'll make you famous. Um, but then after that, I didn't have another win until the following year. And, you know, I tried, but, you know, but yeah, it's just a matter of, trying to find with flash fiction it's finding that right moment to concentrate on the right words that that fit and uh once i finally got the hang of it um it's still i think i won one in 2012 and then it was like another year and then that's when i kind of started up getting you know placing in these contests like maybe four or five times a year or something so I finally found, you know, the that right mix. And at the end of the collection, you include some some pieces about how each story came to be. Um, I have to admit, I I love those. That's one of my favorite parts of of Stephen King collections. Do you enjoy reading those as well? What uh, prompted you to include those? Yeah, it's it's definitely a thing that um, I love reading. Um, like how just where other writers get their inspiration from and um so i mean i didn't do one for everything because there's there's like 42 pieces in this collection and at the rate i was going it was going to end up being longer than the actual stories um so i just and and some of them quite frankly i just don't remember where the inspiration had come from so so i just kind of did that but yeah i love I love reading about that sort of, you know, that behind the scenes stuff. How, yeah. how did it happen and how it came to be and whatnot. I'm a big fan of that as well. Now, um, in the springtime, I believe it is, I don't have the exact date, but you're releasing. Now, I love this title. Watch the whole goddamn thing burn. <laughs> you're releasing that with Nightscape <laughs> Press. Now, I'm really looking forward to this. Can you tell us a little bit about what this is about? Sure. It's. Uh, something I still need to um, kind of get finished up. We don't have an exact release date yet. Um, we are looking at late spring, so I'm guessing probably uh, middle to end of May, maybe. It's part of Nightscape Press's charitable chapbooks line. Um, so there's a, you know, a three-way split between the author, the press, and the charity of the author's choice. And I 
decided to go with Trans Lifeline because I just I have I've got a, you know a few friends in in the horror community who are trans, and I know of at least a, one friend of mine who has benefited from from Trans Lifeline, and I just wanted to find a way to I just wanted to help out somehow because I don't really need to go into uh, the state of the U.S. right now and uh, how bad things are down here. And uh, I'm, you know, it, it just, it hurts me that like so many of my friends are just worried about, you know, th their safety and their, their own well-being. And um, I, I, I just wish it wasn't like that, but there's, there's just so much fucking hatred out there, man. I, I, I just, just want to be able to help somehow. Yes, there is a lot of hate. That's um, fantastic. That's really awesome. I love that. I love that. But the uh, the story the story itself is um it's uh, about a uh, a Thai American girl. Uh, her name is Sammy, and she's just she she's going through a lot of shit. She's got she's had uh, a tragedy in the family, and she's trying to like you know help her mom who's kind of falling apart and she's got this crazy ex-boyfriend and um I i'm trying to think of like how else to describe it without like giving everything away but um as the uh as, as the as the title hints at you know there's going to be a couple of fires <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 dark uh i mean hell even i ha i had ed read it and he was just like that's pretty fucking dark, and for <laughs> him to say that. <laughs> and you were born in Thailand yourself, is that right? Yes. Did you live there for long before coming over to us? Uh, not long enough. Um, I was only eight months old, and my mom was uh, twenty-eight when we came here. So I'm 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 pretty Americanized, but. Uh, I kind of feel sometimes like, like I've kind of got like one foot in like each culture, and and sometimes I don't feel like I quite belong in either one. It's a it's a really weird thing. Did you read much as a kid? Oh yeah, I read. I read an awful lot. I I know I started reading I think fairly early, um, but I was always you know begging my parents you know let's go to the library or when the um they had the scholastic book fairs i you know would be like you know okay i want you know i want all these books here and just always although i'm finding that i have a harder time these days like just stepping <laughs> up on reading um who were your influences back then uh Back then, um, definitely Stephen King, Coots uh, also, V.C. Um, Andrews is another one. Um, they kind of warped my mind at a rather early age. And, uh, they and did mine too. <laughs> yeah, I'm too. sorry? <laughs> they did mine too. <laughs> and then I discovered... Um, uh, Robert R. McCammon, I found a copy of mine, which was 
really freaking excellent. And that kind of opened my mind to realize that there's so much more to horror than King and Koontz. And, uh, and then I just started, you know, trying to dig deeper and just find other people. And then as I got older, uh, one of my other uh, big influences was uh, my mentor, uh, Thomas Tessier. Um, I worked with him for a little while. Uh, we were 411 operators, and uh, I did that thing that I don't know that uh, that is really okay to do. I kind of like slipped in this little folder of my writing, and I was like, is this okay? Like, do you like this? Is it any good? But he saw something there, and um, and he's, he's been, you know, really good to me. That's awesome. Uh, do you find that you're still yeah. being influenced by by writers or do you think that the influence cuts off at a certain age? I ask this because a lot of people seem to think that you can only be influenced in your childhood. And uh, at least that's the impression I get a lot of the time when I hear people talk about their influences. Uh, I don't think it would be really, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like it's something that you would just limit to childhood. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, there was, you know, those influence I had when I was younger. And then as I got older, I kind of branched out and um, reading different things that kind of influenced me in different ways. Um, like one of my, uh, one of my other uh, influences from years ago is uh, Sherman Alexie. And, you know, he's definitely not a horror writer, but um, he, he has this way of like, you know, you could read like a page of his, a paragraph of his, and you could start off laughing and then you're just like in tears by the end of it. And it's just, you know, just that that range of emotion. Um, and I tried to, to learn from that. And then, um, and who else? Uh, you know, Haruki Murakami, Stuart Onan, how he just, he writes beautifully about just like, everyday people and things that are just kind of, you know, might just seem mundane, but he, he really just brings wonderful life to it. Um, and I'm like, I'm like trying to peek out at the, uh, the library in the living room to see like, well, um, oh gosh. And Jack Ketchum. Oh, yes. Yeah. God, wonderful. And just, dearly missed and like i mean just how he just writes like you know all those extreme situations but you know his characters have heart and you're rooting for them and you know the girl next door jesus that was just devastating when i got to that scene in the book i, I you probably know which scene i don't yeah. want to know which one but yeah. i got so mad i damn near threw the book across the room <laughs> that book was really really hard for me to read like I, I almost didn't finish it so many times, but I did, I did end up finishing it. And you know, it's it's definitely a book I won't return to, even though I loved it. It was like yeah, I don't know if I can reread that one. <laughs> it'd be like torturing Every myself. Every page was like a door in the haunted house that you didn't want to open, but yet you were so curious to see what was behind it, you couldn't help it. That's what it was like for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I know that uh, music has had a huge influence on your writing as well. 
Um, I was wondering what bands have influenced you in the past and, and what are you listening to today? Uh, Pearl Jam. Yes, Pearl Jam. <laughs> um, which, I mean, if, I guess if you've seen my Facebook page, that's probably obvious. Um, that they've been just a, they've been a huge influence on me from way, way, way back. Um, they're very um, prolific too, and they they've released I don't know how many albums, but I, I was a big fan. I still am a big fan of them. I don't I haven't listened to them uh, all that much recently. Do you still listen to them a lot? Oh yeah, uh, we we just saw them uh, for two nights at uh, Fenway Park awesome. last year, and they are they are fucking amazing live. Um, they they don't put the same show on twice. Um, Does any better still like? Flying posts and everything. <laughs> no, he really doesn't anymore. Um, I, I'm kind of, I'm almost disappointed in a way because I had missed out on all that stuff, you know, back when I was a teenager. I didn't see them for the first time until I think I was in college, and he didn't even really do it then either. And that was back in like '96 when No Code came out. Um, but. Well, no, actually, there was a show in 2013 where he was kind of climbing one of the light fixtures, but it was, like, kind of low to the stage, so I don't know if that will <laughs> Do you have a favorite Pearl Jam huge, album? Uh... Oh, dear. Um, that That's one of those things that, like, changes by the day. Uh, <laughs> the, the two that just popped into my head at the moment were uh, No Code and Yield. And I know No Code's gotten a lot of hatred, especially when it came out, because that was their way of, uh, you know, alienating from, you know, all the, all the like dude bros and stuff that were like getting into their music and, and whatnot. And, uh, and it, it took me a while to come around to that album, but, um, but I'm, I'm really fond of it now. I love No Code. That's one of my favorites, honestly. That and Ten. Oh God. Yes. Ten. Ten is just, Ten is perfect. It I've is, gone really. through, I think, at least four copies on cassette, two or three on CD. Yeah. <laughs> Even burning out your CDs. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. Burning That's... out or at least one of them has been stolen, I don't know. <laughs> so what other bands do you listen to? Um, some others that have kind of influenced into my writing over the years has been... Um, Tori Amos, uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket, and then uh, Glenn Phillips, the singer for Toad, his solo work. Um, Travis, um, they're a band from Scotland. I adore them, and they're they're on my list of bands I need to see live. And I'll probably get some uh, I'll probably get some hate for this, but I, I kind of like Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much shame in admitting that. Um, no but, judgment um, here. No judgment. I'm sorry? No judgment <laughs> here. It's a safe okay. zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one that I've really, really been obsessed with for the last year or so is uh, a band called Keen mm -hmm. from the south of England. And uh, I've been seeing that they are in the studio now after a hiatus of a few years and they're talking about a tour. So I, that's another one I'm really hoping that they come over to the states um because i somehow missed that they had an album in 2012 called strangeland so i looked it up and then got obsessed and uh i've listened to it an 
awful lot. Um, it's it's really good. <laughs> I kind of almost want to like write a book of stories like based on the songs. Yeah, you know, Maybe one it's so amazing. I've thought about that with some of my favorite work too. Now, what about films? Are you a, are you a big film fan, and are have any of them been influences for you? Um. I've got a really, really horrible track record with uh, with watching movies. Um, uh, I'm really into I'm really into all the Star Wars films. Um, that's I that's been my thing since I was a kid. Um, uh, music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as far as like um, a lot of the horror movies, um, I'm like very. Uh, slow to getting to all of those um like i had you know i had told my boyfriend that um yeah i've gotten this far in life without having seen any of the texas chainsaw massacre movies friday the 13th nightmare on elm street halloween and since october he has managed to fix all of that <laughs> good job that's a lot of binging <laughs> Yeah, and now I'm trying to get him to binge on a Game of Thrones before it starts up again. Cool. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. That's good. This is gonna be a good final season. Yeah, I I missed out on the last season because I haven't had cable in a couple of years, so I've actually managed to somehow navigate through social media since season seven ended without getting any spoilers. And then a couple of weeks ago, one of my coworkers goes. Oh, so and so died, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> oh gosh, I hate that. <laughs> that's like being shot like, that, right at the okay, end of the war. That was a good one to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, have you read those books at all, the George R. R. Martin books? I haven't. No, those th those books are huge and intimidating. <laughs> oh, they are. You could kill someone with those books. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, speaking of your boyfriend, uh, you wrote a story with Ed, um, for the Lost Highways anthology, Crossroads of Opportunity. Now, I was wondering, how did you and Ed share the writing responsibilities for that? It was him pushing me a lot to do, uh, my share of the writing. Um, that sounds bad. Uh, so, uh, he had asked me if I wanted to collaborate on a story with him, and I was like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot because I had tried it once before and it didn't get very far. Um, so I was a little nervous about it, um, especially because I, I think our styles are a little different. Um, you know, he, he started writing this thing and he emailed it to me and, and I added uh, a little bit and, you know, we just kept going back and forth. And um, so I don't, I I think he probably did a little bit more of it than I did. But I was a, uh, I was a big stickler for, um, for details. Um, yeah. I spent, because uh, the story takes place in, um, God, I can't think of this, of the town in Illinois now. But it takes place in Illinois where there is a, giant cross that you could see from the highway and i spent a lot of time on google maps 
on that stretch of highway, just trying to get the details right. The the story itself is uh, it's very dark and very bleak. I loved it, and uh, hey. it really set the mood for the rest of the anthology. Now, I was wondering that, that was actually my introduction to you, actually, because I read that Lost Highways anthologies came anthology. Geez, now it's my see. I told you we do that here too. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I read that when when the anthology first came out, I was wondering if you see your because you're you're right it is a bit of a split from your voice your own voice but I was wondering if uh, if if you see your own work going this way at all. I I think so in a way. Um, watch the whole goddamn thing burn is definitely I think pretty dark like that or or maybe a little bit darker. Um, but I'm I'm enjoying writing longer pieces i mean like in in my collection i think the longest piece was uh divorce and road and that was probably about a maybe 1600 word story so i'm i'm looking forward to um writing more i've i've joked that um one of the things that i've had to learn um or relearn rather was uh, kind of how to write a short story because when I was practicing, you know, when I was doing all those flash fiction pieces, you know, I was just cutting down, cutting down, cutting down until I had like the absolute essential words and pieces that I needed. And now it's kind of like I have to unlearn that a little bit and just tell myself that, you know, okay, it's it, it's okay to leave, you know, these words, these phrases in here. So um, it's been interesting. <laughs> Now, have you uh, collaborated with Ed on uh, any other stories? Not yet. I think I'd like to um, give it another shot. Um, I'm definitely open to it, and I'm sure he'd be willing to do it. But I don't know. We haven't really had a um, an idea come up yet. I'm sure. It'll, I'm sure it'll happen again. Yeah. Now uh, you mentioned earlier about a conference, and I know that you've been to uh, uh, Nikon. I was wondering if you go to conferences very often. Not well. I mean, I've, I've, I haven't, I haven't actually gone to any outside of New England yet. Um, I've done Nikon, I think about ten or eleven times now, um, and that's that's my favorite. Um, it's just, it's you know, it's it's pretty small. They limit it to I think two hundred people that stay at the hotel and. You see a lot of the same familiar faces every year, and it it, it kind of feels like a family reunion, um, and it's really wonderful. And uh, if you guys ever get a chance, you know, you should totally come check it out. It's so much fun. And I think compared to other cons, it's also uh, cheaper um, because I I because we had attended um, Stoker Con last year when it was in Providence, and that was my first Stoker Con, and that was overwhelming. Um, I'm kind of, I don't know. I I don't always deal with crowds too well and I get sensory overload and I, and I freak out and stuff. So, uh, but, uh, Stoker con, it was, a that ended up being pretty expensive, but you know, cause you're always, cause you have to like go find, you know, meals and, you know, everything just adds up. Um, Like with Nikon, you know, your your room is covered, uh, your the food is covered for a few days, so it's it's not bad. 
And then besides that, there was uh, Anthicon up in New Hampshire, which, uh, like I said, sadly is uh, no longer around. And um, I liked I liked that one a lot too. Um, but I'm I'm hoping at some point in the future I can you know broaden my horizons and get to travel around a little bit more. Now it's uh, it's February, which means that uh, it's Women in Horror Month. And so I thought I'd like to touch upon this with you since, you know, I have you here. <laughs> I was wondering if you've ever if you've ever felt like you were at a disadvantage within the writing community simply because you're a woman. I I feel like I've had you know moments where maybe I'm I haven't been taken seriously and uh that's a little frustrating. Um but I don't know that I've really felt like a uh, full-on disadvantage or anything, but I mean, I'm still kind of fairly new to all of this. Um, but you know, hopefully, I will. I'm. I, I hate to say that I'm sure in time I will probably have some horrific story to tell, and I just really hope <laughs> that it doesn't happen. But. I've I've heard some horrific stories, um, and some of them like just basic things, like you're at a convention, and just say you're with your boyfriend, and they they start talking to him, and and they just assume that you're there with him as as his girlfriend, right? And they don't think that you're a writer. That has happened. Yeah. <laughs> that has happened. That that's a very <laughs> typical one, um, but you know, I guess maybe that I don't know, but I find it upsetting that sexism is still a serious issue especially within within the arts you know this is where we're supposed to be all you know we're supposed to feel empathy towards things because we we write so that way so much um but you know it's it's also funny that people think that women can't write horror i come across this all the time because uh i i have a uh, a youtube channel where i talk about books the community is generally called booktube i don't know if you ever heard of it but uh I, I watch a lot of videos and a lot of I've, I don't know how many times I've seen a video where somebody read a book to say by Sarah Langan or someone like that. And they're like, I didn't know women wrote, wrote horror. And they're like, hmm, I'm going to have to investigate this. Oh. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, that's not necessarily their fault, though. So I was wondering, um, how do you think we can spread knowledge of women writers so that there's no longer any need for women in horror month? We just, you know, we just need to keep writing. We need to keep promoting each other. We need to keep building each other up. And, you know, it kind of sucks that we have to have this, you know, to promote that, you know, Hey, there are women here and we write horror too. But um, I mean, it, it helps get, to get the word out but you know maybe at some point in the future probably after we're gone uh we won't need to have it because we'll be better represented not represented um good lord i'm not even sure if i'm making sense at this point but um i i just think the key is to for just we just need to keep writing we just need to promote and build each other up and don't tear each other down because yes. you know that's i've seen that happen i'm not even just like the guys you know being all sexist but 
you see it from other women too sometimes and it's 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 shitty um i find it shitty when um unless it's for a really good reason when people just decide to tear down another writer because uh, i've seen it happen too where people just suddenly attack you because you asked a question and michael knows about this <laughs> oh that doesn't sound good um do i dare ask that's too long of a story <laughs> It was kind of upsetting oh, for him, but it's blown over. It's in the past now. But, uh, you know, um, that tends to happen, and uh, and it's unfortunate. I mean, it's, sometimes there is a good reason for it, I think. You know, like if somebody's being racist or sexist, if they're being sexist or racist, then maybe this person needs to be taken down a peg or at least educated, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it seems like there's people out there who just want to hate something and then they see it and then they, they're like, yes, I can focus on this and they go after it. Yeah. Now, you are, uh, you're relatively new to the scene as uh, you mentioned before, but honestly, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of big things from you. Um, what advice would you tell other young women who want to write, but might come across uh, a discriminating situation? Um, well, first of all, uh, Thank you. I mean, I, I, I hope to keep producing stuff. Um, as far as advice, uh, gosh, um, just, just stand up for yourself. Um, you know, if, if you see something that's just not cool going down, you know, don't, don't be afraid to call it out. Um, although I feel like sometimes maybe that's advice I should take myself um because i i get nervous about speaking up about things um you know when you were talking before about having um you know kind of getting attacked sometimes for asking a question on social media um i i feel like it may have happened a couple of times to me not like you know on a grand scale or anything but um you know sometimes you ask something and it's like, you know, people sort of make you feel like you should have known the answer to that or, or something. And uh, so it sort of makes me a little reluctant these days to post about things. Um, and I guess, too, maybe just, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of drama in the community. Um, you know, maybe just keep, keep an eye on it, you know, be aware, but, you know, don't get too caught up in it and just just keep writing that's that's the biggest thing just keep writing yeah yeah i i find myself sometimes ignoring like the community because of all the drama because it i, I feel it's unnecessary honestly I, I don't really react well honestly though to negative situations and so i tend to shy away from them yeah yeah i, I totally hear that all right so now, do you have anything else coming out anytime soon that you want to share with us uh there's there's not all that much um i i do have a um i have a reprint that's coming out this year um uh the contract's been signed but the uh table of contents hasn't been made public yet so uh i don't think i can talk about that yet but um i'm excited about that because it's my my first reprint 
Um, I mean, I've got a, I've got a couple uh, things out in submission right now. Um, I just got invited to do, uh, to, to take part in an anthology. Um, so I need to figure out what I'm doing with that, but I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. Other than that, there's not a whole lot. Um, I, I, I'm a really, really slow writer. Um, that, I mean, I don't know how you guys are with, uh, you know, with your work. Um, I, I have had this lifelong terrible habit of um, when I'm writing, I suddenly get this thought in my head like, oh, I need to go back and fix this. And I need to go back and fix that. Yes. And this isn't right. And I have to go do it. And then I, and then sometimes I just, you know, keep doing that. And then I look at the story and then I'm like, you know what? I'm really sick of this story. So I'm not going to deal with it anymore. And I just like put it away. And, and, you know, I might look at it in another two months, six months, three years. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> I do that a lot. Oh God. Do I have short stories? Honestly, that. Yeah. I have short stories that I started like two, three years ago. And I still want to go finish, but they're sort of like percolating in my brain. Do you find that you do that? That you you have stories percolate like deep down somewhere and then it comes back and you're like, oh, and you finish it? Oh, yeah, always. Um, I've got one that I started in late 2016. And uh, I've. it's one of those where every few years I, or not every few years, I'm sorry, every few months, I go back to it and I'm like, okay, I think I'm ready. I can do something with this. And I can't. And then just like a couple of days ago, I was sitting at work and all of a sudden this thought, and I was just like, oh, that's what I need to do with it. Yeah. But I need to actually just sit myself down and do it. All right. Uh, before we let you go, I was wondering where people can reach you online if they want to uh, ask you questions for themselves. I so I, I practically live on Facebook, um, but I'm kind of slow with accepting the friend requests. Um, uh, but I do have a uh, an author page on there that I update maybe once a month because I'm bad with maintenance things like that. But that's um, Facebook.com/slash Um I am on Twitter and Instagram under the handle. Uh, DJI76DJAI76. Um, I'm rarely ever on Twitter, though. I'm trying to change that. Um, and I have a... Uh, I do have a blog, but I don't remember the last time I've updated it. I think it was just before the book came out. So I should probably go and put something out over there. Um, but I think that is... I think it's dumbjagam.wordpress.com, maybe. I'll put the uh, I'll put the link in the show notes so that people can find it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no problem. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us. I had a lot of fun talking with you, and uh, do you have any more questions, Michael? Um, I'm just curious what your to be read um, list looks like. What uh, <laughs> you're do you going find down to that path there? It's I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's huge. Because well, okay, I can, I can focus the question. Are you looking forward to anything in in 2019 specifically? <laughs> um. Okay. 
thanks for narrowing it down because my to be red tile is um yeah. is they're is huge, aren't they? Freaking ridiculous. And they they're like <laughs> monsters and they keep growing. Oh god. Yeah. I'm trying to think, what am I looking forward to? Uh well I know that um I know there is a uh I know there's stuff. Why am I blanking? <laughs> I'm blanking out so bad. I, I put you on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I just thought of one. Um, there is a book. Uh, Rachel Autumn Deering and Matt Hayward are doing it uh, called mm. Pestilence. Yes. I believe. Um, I, I think that one's coming out this year. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, I had read... Uh, Rachel's novella Husk uh, last year, and it was it was really really good. Um, and and I realize I'm probably biased for throwing this out there because it's one of Ed books Ed's books. Um, but he's got a collection coming out next month called Blood They Brought yes. and other stories from Journal Stone. And I'm a little underread, I hate to say, um, on on my boyfriend's work. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to reading more. That Wonderful. sounds terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that collection too yeah so uh thanks so much for coming on the show with us and uh you know uh i would like to have you on the show again sometime if you have anything you want to promote yeah that would be awesome all right thanks for coming Thank on you so much thanks i ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice chianti pain has a face Allow me to show it to you, gentlemen. I am pain. I see dead people. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? When there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Suspiria, you know, uh, wasn't very long ago when I heard that they were actually filming this remake, and uh, I thought it was gonna like, I thought it was gonna be like a straight to video type thing, or it's just a piece of junk. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, bad acting, oh, yeah. bad everything. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was the little... usual kind of remake crap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, this movie was. Uh, direct... And it was. No. <laughs> <laughs> this movie. Was, this movie was directed by uh, Luca. Uh, what a, I'm really bad with names today. Guad Guadagino. Now I know I definitely butchered that. <laughs> uh, and it was written by J David uh, Kajgadnik, something like that. Anyways, um, it's starring Tilda. Swinton. Now I don't know if you knew this, Michael, but she stars three roles in this film. She plays uh, no. Madame Blanc. Yeah, as you would, because you recognize her there, right? <laughs> but she also plays Doctor Klemperer, uh, the guy who goes oh, investigating. You know what? I believe that. I yeah. believe that because <laughs> I have a comment about about something, and that just explained it. Yeah. And uh, she also plays another character, which I don't really w necessarily want to spoil, so I'm just going to leave that one in the open. It uh, it uh, also stars uh, Chloe Grace Moretz 
as Patricia, Dakota Johnson. Oh, I didn't recognize. Wait, no, yeah, oh. she's kind of, she's kind of, her hair's different, and it's like all over her face, so you don't really see her. And, and then later, she just looks different for reasons. <laughs> and uh, Dakota Johnson <laughs> as Susie, Angela Wrinkler as Miss Tanner. Now this one got me because uh, the original Miss Tanner. She sounds exactly the same. I was like, this can't be possibly the same woman. So I looked it up, and uh, uh, Miss Tanner in the original movie was played by Alita Valley. Different people, but they sound a lot alike. They even look a little alike, and who knows, maybe they're related or something. But uh, I, I, I was impressed by that. And uh, Mia Goth, who plays Sarah, amongst many others. Now, I have a, I have a sordid sort of history with with Suspiria. I had a lot of trouble getting into it the first time I saw it. I kind of hated it to be honest with you. It was it was very jarring from the uh from the music score to the you know to the no plot <laughs> to the weird Are you talking scheme. the which which Suspiria are the you first, talking about? The first one, the one oh. from 1977. Yes. So did you have the same issue getting into that movie or did you like it right away? I love Suspiria. It's and and you know that I don't watch a lot of Giallo movies, mm-hmm. but I always want to. I always want to, and when I do, I like them. But Suspiria, I always loved. I love the your. I there are issues with it. There are so many issues with it, but I always liked it. I did, despite all those weird questions. And nonsensical things. Like, why would somebody open up a school for dance and the occult? Like, that was the mission statement of the original school. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I don't know. I For some reason, I kept going back to it. Um, I'd, like, watch it again and again. And then I, I found that, you know, I, I'm like, why am I continuously watching this film? I thought it was because... I was just trying to figure it out, which it was, but I guess over the interim of doing that, I found that I really, really enjoyed it, actually. I just needed multiple views, I guess. Um, so I ended, it's, it's like one of my favorite movies now. Now this movie, uh, the remake, I didn't, I didn't have as much trouble with it, although I find it's, it was a really slow burn, but once things start get going, man, whew, <laughs> I it found, was a very slow yes i found that also you had to work with this movie this movie made you work to understand what's going actually both movies make you work obviously because the first one i had to watch repeatedly and you know <laughs> I, I still have questions about that one but i love it to death and this one this one makes you think i found like you have to figure out what's going on it doesn't tell you the year it, but it does take place, I found out, in 1977 because of the hostage it situation. It does tell you the year, right at the beginning. Did it? I missed, missed it. missed that then. Yeah, I must have missed yes. it. But, uh, yeah, but even if if it didn't, uh, there's there's clues, like the hostage situation that's going on in the background. And, uh, of course, the movie takes place in Berlin. And uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of upheaval going on, a lot of uh, people protesting and whatnot. Um, uh, did you have much trouble getting into this movie? No, I, I didn't. Although I was very aware that 
it didn't like get going as fast as the first one. Now I'm not somebody that that harps on needing a, a fast beginning. It was just in comparison to the 1977 one, which you know Patricia is screaming and falling through the the window fairly early on. This one took I, I watched it 37 minutes, but um, but no, as far as getting into it, I was. I was excited enough that that I was okay with it. Yeah. Well, the first one starts off with uh, um, the main character, um, Susie. She's uh, she's stuck in the rain, and and she gets a taxi. And as she's in the taxi, she sees that woman running through the woods. And you know, it's a pretty strong beginning. You know, it's very strange. It kind of draws you in. This one. I, I don't know, I just found that, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like okay, there's people protesting. There's this uh, young woman going to <laughs> to see her therapist in the middle of all this. It makes no sense. And uh, and then there's this woman dying in a, in a bed. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? But, you know, I, the, the movie is beautiful. It's beautifully shot. The one thing that really drew me in is, I think it was in the, the, the dying woman's house. They're showing, uh, like, her pantry. And it's just, it's full of stuff from, like, 1977. It just looks marvelous, you know what I mean? And uh, so does the uh, the psychiatrist's office. I just I just loved that office. It was so, f it looked real, you know? The set design was really good. Oh, it was. I did, fabulous. as far as the look of the film, I did have a little problem because one of the things I like about the 1977 Argento one is the coloring. Yes. I love the splashy blues and reds. And and the 2018 Suspiria is that muted sort of color that is so popular still since the all that post-apocalyptic movies. So I was a little disappointed in that, but yeah. actually, I, I had the that. attention to the set design was amazing. Yeah, I had that in my notes. Uh, very next, actually, is that the uh, um, these two these two movies they're both very different, both in story, because uh, well, the first one doesn't actually have much of a story. It's uh, basically about a woman who goes to a dance school that ends up to be run by witches, <laughs> and then. Um, uh, this movie actually has a bit of a, a storyline to it. But uh, one of the bigger differences I found was uh, the color schemes, as you mentioned. It's very bright where this, uh, the old one is very bright, where this one is like more earthy, uh, you know, grays and and whatnot. But the one thing I really enjoyed was uh, the director still paid a lot of, you know, of an homage to, uh, to that type of cinema from where this uh, the original came from so you get those uh uh what are they called here the whip zooms or snap zooms and you know odd yeah. camera angles and going back to the design there's some like really weird uh architecture <laughs> and uh also like some kind of like weird furniture and whatnot like that that mirror with the lights around it and uh you know it, it it gives you a sort of a sense that you're not in this world anymore. You're in some sort of like fantastic world. Yes. And what struck me, you know, kind of along those lines is that the director, I'm assuming the writer, but I know the director is 
Italian. So this isn't like an American remake. It's still, you know, even though most of it's in English, it's still pretty much a, a foreign film and it has that foreign, foreign feel, which I love. Like right off the bat, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be a schlocky American teen flick. Yeah. So it had that going for it right from the start. And uh, like I said, the story itself is very, you got to think while you're watching this movie where you, you're going to skip a beat and then you're going to miss something and then you're going to be lost. <laughs> I was lost from the get go, but, but then I, you know, I watched it again and things clicked and uh, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I've already seen it twice. <laughs> I need to see it again. I'm looking forward to that, yeah. but I do want to say, and you probably have this in your notes, but I'll say it first. I loved that the dancing actually had something to do with the witch plot in this one. It wasn't, you know, in the original, things are just kind of glued together. But in this one, the dancing was like the way that they cast their spells. I hope yeah. I'm not spoiling too much. But I loved that. That was so refreshing. It it actually, you know, the screenwriter took the time to actually write a narrative and, and have it make sense, which you and I are always talking about with all these remakes. We asked the question, why is this remake being done? And yeah. it's usually not for such a good reason as to make a more coherent movie <laughs> like, like Suspiria <laughs> did. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, is uh, you ask a good question there. Why remake it? Like, what what's the point? Especially when it's a, uh, it's it's kind of a you know the the movie remaking is is could be considered a hot mess. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, but he uh, the director, um, Luca. I'm not going to attempt his last name again. He uh, he he brings new things to this not just with the story but like with the themes there's one thing i found very interesting about this film is that i think it's a very much uh, a feminist type of uh, movie because uh first of all there's hardly any men in it there's a couple of men and uh but you also have like your leading male role is actually played by a woman and uh here this is what i say in uh, in my notes the new movie is uh, very feminist, I think, in that uh, within the story it shows women being very vicious and violent in their own surroundings without any male influence whatsoever. Therefore, this shows uh, human cruelty as a human trait that's not lost on women. They can be just as vicious. A lot of people don't seem to understand this, which is why a lot of people have no idea that women can write horror, for example, and write it very well because people tend to uh, pigeonhole women as being maternal when uh, when you know people aren't thinking that they're just you know they're people that is very well said but you know having watched this movie honestly there's so much that I still have to figure out <laughs> how about you definitely and I have to admit I don't like ever admitting this, but I did lose my focus during this movie, and my mind wandered. 
So I probably have even more questions than you. So I definitely want to, I need to see it again. Um, because I love that it was, it had this, the modern grittiness, like the, um, well, a lot of the, the blood and gore and sort of like the dream, dreamlike flashes, they were mesmerizing. Yeah. They were really mesmerizing. And so, so I loved that. I loved the feel of this movie, even though I, I was distracted. I don't know if that's the fault of the movie. It did seem like an awful slow burn. And like maybe a half hour too long, but yeah, I don't know. I totally agree with that, honestly. It, well, especially it long. Yeah, especially through my first viewing, um, it's it's two and a half hours, right? There's hardly any horror films out there that are two and a half hours because horror, as we often say, and you know, uh, as writers, horror often works better in you know shorter form. And yes. uh, that definitely works for movies. Uh, my mind wandered as well through the first, because it 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 made me confront it or have to confront it, and I wasn't really expecting that. I don't know why it's a Suspiria film, right? But I, I was <laughs> expecting schlock, I guess. I don't know, and it made me think. So I had to watch it twice, and uh, um, the second time through, I, I I see why it's as long as as it is, but it. I, I think I, I still don't think it needs to be as long as that. You know what I mean? Like every I scene do. in the movie actually has a point to it, and uh, and it's drawn out if you pay attention and you can see why that scene's there. There's nothing that's actually I would say, uh, you know, fat that's not needed. But you could probably still cut it down a bit. I don't know. It, I don't know if that would hurt the storytelling at all or not. But uh, it. But yeah, while you while you're watching it the first time, you're like, <laughs> could it could it pick up just a little bit? But then about halfway to somewhere near the end, it does start picking up, and it doesn't really stop. It just goes batshit crazy. <laughs> that ends. That's absolutely true. That, that <laughs> when ending, that happened, then I was like, oh, why didn't I pay more attention? <laughs> yeah, that ending is just like <laughs> this is really good. And actually, I have a, a bit of a complaint about the ending too. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a part where um, there's a part where a lot of people are are dying. Let's just say that, and it seemed a little bit video gameish to me, mostly because of the CGI and just how fast it suddenly was going. Like the whole movie is going at a snail's pace, and then suddenly everyone's heads are exploding, basically, and it just didn't seem real within the context of of the rest of the film. It, it kind of pulled me out from where I was at originally. Um, what did you think of that part? You, you, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I do. And that, I mean, you're absolutely right. I like how you said that because it does, it just suddenly cranks up into another gear. Um, and of course I, I liked that. Um, and that's definitely why I have to go back, you know, yeah, because the build-up... Because I was, you is, know... And, yeah. You know, it brings... A, uh, oh, man, I just want to spoil that. <laughs> um, all right, so we're at the end of this. If you guys just want to stop listening now, then 
then by yeah. all means, you know, <laughs> go watch the movie and come back. But, you know, this movie, it makes you think. And uh, the, just the one thing I wanted to bring up is, like, the idea that um, um, Susie isn't just your American average girl going to a dance school. She's actually uh, one of the three mothers reincarnated, basically. And uh, and she figures this out. It doesn't say when she figures this out, but she figures it out. Figures it out, and then she pretty much takes over the coven. And uh, that's what happens at the ending. That's like, oh my god! It just blows your frontal, <laughs> your frontal cortex like like no other. And I didn't catch that. No, <laughs> I didn't. Let's be I, honest. Oh, so I that's what happened. Yeah, I didn't catch it at all, honestly, uh, until the second uh, viewing. And uh, that that blew me away. I was just like, wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, you know, the movie was a lot of fun because it made me think. And when I wasn't necessarily uh, ready for that. And, uh, and it made me, you know, try to figure it out. It, it Just like the first movie... It stuck in my head, and I had to watch it again. I wasn't so judgmental on this one at first, though. And I think it was because I was so jarred. I was just like, what? What's going on? <laughs> and then, uh, so I had to go and figure it out. Where the first time around, I was just like, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am really surprised to hear you say that about Suspiria. Well, that was just my first. Because, like, it was a slow build for me, in a sense, that I had to work at becoming a fan of it um and that that was me like trying to figure out what the hell this thing was now um i do remember back in 2000 and must have been eight um my my then boyfriend his best friend and i had similar movie tastes and we decided we were going to show brad suspiria and Ross and I, you know, just loved the movie, and Brad was just kind of speechless and and just not uh, <laughs> not like in a good way. He's like, "What the hell am I watching? <laughs> what? what are you guys talking about? What is this?" So, I don't, I don't think it's unusual your reaction. I yeah. think this might be an acquired taste for a lot of people. Yeah, it might have sure. been for me too. I don't know. I saw it for the first time so long ago. Yeah. Now, one more, I think I liked it, right? There's one more thing I wanted to bring up, and that's the, the soundtrack, the music. Uh, one one thing that pulled me in was uh, the music, because uh, it's done by Radiohead's Tom York. Uh, he's the singer for Radiohead. Um, and that's very... The stuff he came up with for this movie, a lot of people are like kind of like, eh, about, because it's not Goblin who did the original, you know what I mean? The original uh, soundtrack. And there's differences, yeah. obviously. Like the the Goblin soundtrack is very, uh, it's very jarring. It's it makes you feel unsettled, especially that f the first music, uh, the opening music. It's just like, it's like almost assaulting you. <laughs> Where uh, Tom York's music is more uh, melancholic and haunted, and uh, I've I've always gravitated more towards the melancholic and uh, haunted type music. I mean, that's why I love doom metal so much. 
but yeah Doom metal. but heard I'm, that before but i'm yeah but i'm probably biased uh because i like uh i like radiohead a lot i've always been a fan of theirs since like 1995 i've always listened to them so uh final thoughts what do you give this movie michael i'm giving it a provisional three stars um because i'm going to watch it again i have a feeling that that rating is going to go up to four four dweller heads but for right now it's sitting at three all right and i'm anxiously awaiting a second viewing so is that a negative that no like both of us needed a second viewing or Uh, is it a good thing that a movie inspires you to watch again i think that's a good thing honestly it's not good for your own market for your because people want instant gratification right they don't want to think just like me when i went into the first film and the second one for some reason i wasn't thinking that i had to think and uh and i did and but you know the type of person i am if if there's something i caught unconsciously and i went i had to figure it out for myself and you know that's where it works for my type of personality but it's not this movie is definitely not for everyone this this movie's going to turn off a lot of people both yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. In kind of different ways. Yeah. So uh, they're very different films, uh, and yet they're the same thing. I mean, the the basic concept is uh, an American uh, woman, young woman, goes to dance school that happens to be run by uh, uh, a coven of witches. <laughs> that's that's the basic premise for both, and yet they're both very different. So. Uh, my final thoughts is is very well done it's not a perfect movie uh like the things i mentioned uh it moves a little bit too slow and uh the ending that one part at the ending that just bothered me i loved the ending i absolutely loved the ending there's just that one part in the ending that just ugh. and uh, it was very well acted especially by tilda swinton doing three spots and playing an old man my God, that was awesome. I was, and what I had in my notes was, why did the old guy sound like a woman? <laughs> yeah, well, now you know. <laughs> now I know. So I, I'm giving this, I'm giving this one five stars. I, I absolutely love oh. this film. Yeah, it's a new favorite. Wow. Yeah, it's Boy. right up there with Hereditary, wow. and and uh, and for good reason. For good reason. I do think that undoubtedly. Um, I I I start I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, undoubtedly this is a better remake than what I'm sure most people thought it was going to be. It's not like when Martyrs was remade and just became garbage. You know, yeah. so many of the of remakes. You know, Last House on the Left just takes the piss right out of the original. <laughs> this one is almost a companion piece. It's it's like neither a replacement yes. nor, you know, yeah. Actually, so, after watching it the second time, I was looking into the film a bit, streeting up on it and whatnot, and the director, Luca, uh, he said that uh, this isn't so much a remake as it is more like a cover song. And so so he's oh. basically saying, like, this is just his version of that song. And uh, uh, I found that and a very that comes interesting through. quote. Yeah. Now, before yeah, we go on this, I, like... I, I pulled up some fun trivia because... Uh, there's some interesting things going on in this film that I noticed the second time around, but was completely oblivious in the first round. 
Um, the first one, the first, oh, I got these pieces of trivia from IMDb as well, so some of them might not be, uh, actually, there's not very many here, so I'm pretty sure, well, this first one is definitely true. Jessica Harper, she played Susie, the main character in the original Suspiria, which was 1977, and, uh, and she appears in this new film as, uh, Dr. Klemperer's wife. Now, there's a scene oh. where, where he, uh, he sees her, and she kind of leads him somewhere, and, uh, and she, in the storyline, uh, she was lost during World War II to, uh, Nazi Germany, basically. She got taken away, and, uh, and so that was kind of a weird sort of touching moment, I found. Um, let me see, what one is this here? Okay, this is this goes back to my uh, point on feminism, um, or this movie being somewhat feminist. Uh, Tilda Swinton's performance as Dr. Joseph uh, Klemperer came about when both Swinton and the director Luca thought that in a movie centering on women, it felt right to have a woman also play the principal male character. During filming, and this is the interesting part, I don't know if it's true because it's on IMDb, right? Anybody could edit this, but... <laughs> During filming, only a few cast members and virtually none of the extras knew that it was really Swinton in heavy makeup. They uh, purposefully credited it, and if you look at the credits, it's uh, that part is credited by German actor called uh, Lutz Eberstorff. As, uh, and so they hid this from everyone, except for maybe a chosen few. And so I found that, uh, that very fascinating. I like that. But it, it's, it's cool. so convincing. I had no idea, honestly. I didn't either. It does not look like Tilda Swinton, yeah, you know, made up as a man. Until you know, and then you're like, oh, and you can see it then. You can see it. Um, the voice was definitely feminine, though, oh, because sure. that, that yeah. got me. She's got, like, she's playing the old raspy voice of a really old man, but it yeah. works. And, uh, See, because I thought that I missed something, like there was some kind of a weird reincarnation scene, and he was supposed to be, like, one of the witches got in him. So I thought I had missed something about that. So that's one of the reasons why why I had trouble focusing, because I was trying to puzzle through that. Yeah. And as it turns out, I wish I had known that, because it would have saved me some, some grief. Yeah. <laughs> um, this next one I found interesting, and I, you know what, I can see why, considering all the intestines and whatnot that are in this film. Uh, in in an interview with Elle magazine, actress Dakota Johnson revealed the, that the intensity of the shoot had fucked her up so much that she had to go get therapy. <laughs> oh. Uh, it's like I didn't know I was I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Take that, Fifty Shades girl. And my last little bit of trivia here: uh, there's a body count in this film of fourteen. Fourteen. Oh. Which is interesting because if you're watching this film from the beginning to the middle, you're gonna be like, "Where the fuck is this body count?" <laughs> <laughs> Wait for it. Wait for it. For two and a half hours, just wait for it. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a, a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to round out the show.
Wonderful. All right, so that was a that was a pretty good show, I think. I loved the good movie discussion, and boy, I liked I liked meeting our guest. Yeah, she Dung, was great. Dong Jai Gam, she uh, I, she's an up and comer for sure. Um, her collection is just uh, it's it's a uh, mind blowing. Um, I I as I said, I'm pretty sure I said this in in the interview. I read it in one sitting, one night during a slow night at work, and. Uh, uh, I like contacted her the next day. I was like, man, can you, would you be willing to be on the show? Cause this collection is so awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I know how that feels. That happened to me and, and Todd Rigney with found when yeah. I first watched that. And then I had to get the book. And... Yeah. Which uh, you can find in our backlog. I... I hope that's still there. My one solo interview. It should be there. I don't know because I found that uh, iTunes is eating up our. Uh, they only gave us like up to a hundred episodes, so like episodes one or yeah one to I don't know what it'd be now. I guess eleven um, are gone. Gone forever. So I don't I don't know why because like tears uh, in I thought, the rain. <laughs> yeah, I thought the the cutoff limit was three hundred episodes. But I guess I was wrong. Maybe it's because we're not as big as some others. I don't know. But I might try to figure out a way to fix that. But I think those episodes are gone for good. So that's okay, I guess. I mean, they were our first. No, it's not. They were. They, no, man. Huh? Those episodes are completely different to what we're doing today. <laughs> well, it includes my, my first appearance on the show. Boy, am I ever being selfish. My first solo interview. <laughs> And my blood vengeance interview, that's all I care about. Well, I'm pretty sure the blood vengeance, <laughs> oh, the blood vengeance uh, interview is definitely gone. That's I can't cool. find that anywhere. Right. And, uh, but your interview with, uh, uh, with the found author, I'm pretty sure yeah. it's still there. I can't remember what episode it is. But anyways, uh, I'll, I'll look into that. <laughs> and you should probably download it and uh, keep it somewhere safe. Yeah, I should. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, it's really easy to do. We're everywhere on the internet. You can find us uh, on Facebook. We have both a group and a page you can like. Um, and both Michael and I are there, too, uh, with accounts. Uh, you can email us at uh, darknessdwellspodcast at mail.com. And, uh, you know, if you're going to email us, why not give us uh, a voice message? I would love to play uh, anyone's voice message on the show if you guys want to do that. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter. The handle for that is at DarkDweller74. And we have a website where, uh, where we're hosted, basically. And that is uh, wheredarknessdwells.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, please, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, we like comments, as you uh, heard at the beginning of the episode. And uh, we will see you again next time. Stay dark, my friends. Stay dark indeed. <laughs>